yesterday when we dropped off our son for his final year of school, we just had just one of those great weekends together. We didn't do much of anything. For the second time since our daughter was married, we had the opportunity to go and stay in their home, which was still a new and fresh experience for us. I have to sleep on the floor to do that because our house is very small, but, you know, it's just beautiful. And then uh, our sons came over and their girlfriends came to visit as well. And we just, we played croquet on the yard and just did stuff. Nothing exciting. I mean, we thought about going to watch the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers on Friday night in a two-to-nothing game, which would have been fun for two or three of us. But it's just great to just be together as a family. And uh, we had breakfast together. There was just nothing about it and everything about it. Everything real. Do you know what I'm saying? One of the things we realize is that our families are fundamental to our lives. And as we're nearing the end of our study of this great book of Ephesians, we began by last week by realizing that when Paul comes to the finish line, the last things he wants to say, or we might say the second to the last thing he wants us to say, is that where is the kingdom of God to be most fully realized? It's to be most fully realized within our families. Yes, the church is meant to be a place of maturity and in unity and purity. But if God is making us fully alive, human beings, his new creation us, the place that needs to be most fundamentally realized is in our families. And last week, we looked specifically at that husband-wife relationship. We saw that, I think we saw about three things, that the marriage was a divine calling, and the marriage was a holy mystery, and that marriage is a sacred dance. And uh, it goes on to talk about the text that Steve read for us earlier today about uh, parents and children, and about uh, masters and slaves, generally who lived within the same, uh, the same household. So I want to kind of wrap these two sermons together today as we move towards next week when we talk about this spiritual battle and close out this whole study before our opening day, a kickoff ser- service a couple of weeks from now. I want to talk to you today about three different ideas, and you can talk, put them down in your worship notes if you like. I want to talk to you about the principles of fully alive families, the practices of fully alive families, and the pattern for fully alive families. The principles, the practices, and the pattern. Um, there are three principles that I want to remember that I just want to share briefly as we kind of going. First of all, when you're in a family, number one, remember your goal. Remember your goal. Remember your goal. It's hard when the kids are little, when the problem's right in front of you. Remember your goal. See the big picture that God is creating out of your family and evidence of what it means to be a fully alive creation of Christ. That we're making beautiful music uh, together. Remember your goal. I made a picture of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They're just the quintessential dancing partners, you know. Marriage is a beautiful dance. A family is a beautiful dance. And you want to make beautiful music together. Something wonderful about the way that these people flew around the dance floor and were so effortless. They, were, they had worked so hard that they had an effort, effortless look about them. Do you know what I'm saying? They had worked so hard at the fundamentals of what it meant to be dancing partners that what they did was create beautiful music together. I love sports, and so the same principle applies. When you get out there and you want to feel the ball properly, make a good throw, um, uh, 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 hit the ball uh, uh, well when you're, when you're in the batting box, it all depends on having worked hard behind the scenes so they can do beautiful things on the field. Same thing's true with regard to playing an instrument. In order to play a guitar, 
there are few, very few people that can just pick it up and play it the first time. In fact, no one except for August Rush in that movie that I saw, right? He just picked it up and played it, right? Uh, no, none of you all, you saw that movie, right? It's not the way it works, right, Steve? You got to learn, you know, and then the guitar, I said Steve, I meant Chris, sorry. Um, in the guitar, there's two hands. You've got the right hand and the left hand. They both have different roles to play, and they need to work together. And in a marriage, you've got a husband and a wife. They have different roles to play, and you need to learn how to work together. So remember your goals to play beautiful music together. And number two, practice your role. You see, it's difficult when you're first learning to play the guitar to put your fingers in the right spot, and it's hard. It's difficult to say, I can't make those... I can't shape that chord. I can't make that sound. Or if you're learning the saxophone, uh, Chris over here is going to be teaching students for the first time. And I don't know how experienced that they are. Are they new students or intermediate or what? You're not sure? Anyway, yeah, and you know how it was, they first play, they start to blow through that thing. They're trying to, they're trying to get that reed to resonate against the, you know, uh, as it should, the mouthpiece. And it sounds terrible, and it squeaks, and it's ugly. And you've got to learn uh, skillfully the various components so that you can make the music together. And a lot of students will quit early on because they, get, they forget their goal. They forget they want to be able to play beautiful music. You've got to practice the roles in order to meet your goals. Same thing's true with regard to your marriage and your parenting and your working relationships. There are goal, roles that we have, and we'll talk about them today. And, 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 uh, and they can be frustrating. What does it mean to be submissive? What does it mean to respect? What does it mean to lay down your wife, life for your wife? What does it mean to love her as Jesus loved her? What does it mean to uh, 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 not exasperate your children? What does it mean to honor and respect your parents? What does it mean to do all these things? These are the roles that we play, but never forget it's about a goal of living a fully alive life. Not a dead family, a fully alive family. So the first thing is to remember your goal. Beautiful music together. The second thing is to practice your role. And then the third thing is to follow your example. To follow your example. All the way through this text as we look at it, we will see that Jesus is at the center of every single admonition. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Jesus. Parents, Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Masters, remember that you have a master in heaven. Servants, obey your masters as you would obey Jesus Christ. See, our example for all of these is Jesus Christ. It's not, I mean, it would be Fred and Ginger Astaire, I suppose, if we lived in that time period and they wanted to be our examples. They are our goal to remember that. But our example is not these people, but rather Jesus Christ. So these three principles, I know I'm going quickly through them because I have a lot of things I want to say. Um, these three principles are very important. Remember your goal. When you think about the hard work of your marriage or your parenting, or even your work relationships. Remember your goal, which is to make beautiful music together, or to live a fully alive life, or to honor Christ in all that you do, or to have your family be a good representation of what it is that God created uh, families to become. Remember that goal, so that when you work on the hard things, you know, I, I think about it because I have a guitar next to me, all these chords that I know how to play, most all of them were difficult for me when I first started to play them. And there were some shapes in my fingers because my hands are not very large that I thought I'll never get. You've got to be 
diligent. And the same thing is true in your marriage. If you're, uh, uh, you know, just working things out in your marriage, trying to figure out how do we work together? How do we do these moves together? How do we dance together? You know, someone's got to lead in a dance and someone's got to shine and the woman shines and the man leads so that she can shine, right? And how do we do that? How do we keep stepping on one other's feet? We're getting angry with each other. Let's just quit. Let's give up. No. Remember your goal, practice your rules, and follow your example. Look unto Jesus. Well, what I want to spend most of my time today on is the practices of fully alive families. So you can go on to that one, Brian, if you like. The practices of fully alive families. Now, I didn't have Steve read the text which preceded this um, because we read it last week, and Michelle read it for us, but I will quickly read it for you. Wives, submit to your... Uh, 522... Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might be ho- that she might be holy and blameless without blemish. In the same way, a husband should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, we talked about this last week, although our time was limited at the end, and we saw that the husband's have two roles, two dance moves they need to learn to practice, two skills that they need to develop. And if, Brian, if you can go to the next slide, we'll see what those two skills are. The first one is husbands are to practice sacrificial leadership, and the second one is self-giving love. Our example, husbands, is none other than Jesus himself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is so important to realize that when Jesus talks about leadership, he talks about something altogether different than what you see in the world out there. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had a very difficult time getting his disciples to understand this. In Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, we have a text where Jesus tries once more to explain to his disciples what leadership is like. And in that text, in verses 42 to 45 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, you know that those who are Gentiles Lord it over you, but it is not to be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great, let him become your servant. And he which was be the greatest, let him become the least of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands, you're called to lead, as I mentioned last week, like the leader of a dance partner. His purpose is to make his partner shine, to help her thrive. Your job is to serve, uh, lead by serving as Jesus led by serving. And in John chapter 13, um, Jesus, on the night before he was executed, got up from the table and wanted to demonstrate to the disciples how much he loved them. And so the Bible says that he took up 
uh, took off his outer garment, stripped the garment of a servant, put on the towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now imagine this. What if at this moment I just stopped for a moment? I said, wait a minute. And I went and grabbed a basin from the kitchen and said to you, man, I'd like to wash your feet. Wouldn't that feel awkward for all of us? It's making some of you nervous just to hear me think about it. Well, that's what it was for them. Jesus was performing the function of a slave. So husbands, we're called to lead, but we lead by serving, okay? Sacrificial leadership, self-giving love. Those are your steps. They're hard steps because, let's face it, we're all selfish. We want our way. We're not supposed to dominate. We're supposed to lead by serving, okay? Wives, what are your a pra- what are the practices that characterize that Paul talks about? For the wives, there are two, sacrificial submission and sincere respect. Sacrifi- go ahead, Brian. So, oh, there you go. Got it. Submission and sincere respect. She says, it says here, wives, submit to your husbands. And as we saw last week, the verse just before that says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submission is everybody's job to everyone. In fact, rightly understood, leadership is submission. It's seeing that there's something that needs to be done and being willing to provide the leadership to make it happen. It's doing what is best for the sake of the family, of the group. It's saying, this is what I think we have to do. Doing it for the sake of the group. Leadership really is submission. And just as the husbands have Jesus as their example, submit your husbands as to the Lord. And I was thinking about this in Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was trying to teach this new church how to get along with one another. Uh, There were a few ladies, apparently, that were fighting, and some people that were kind of arguing with one another. It was a difficult situation in that church. I mean, we know there was a Roman jailer who was in that church. We know there was a a formerly demon-possessed slave girl who was in that church. We know there was a Christian businesswoman who was in that church. It was a very disparate group, and they were called to be together. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love. Let each of you not look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he quotes an early Christian hymn, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in fashion of the place, He gave himself to death on the cross. Jesus, ladies, is your example of submission. We have in the Trinity this beautiful dance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They all serve one another, and yet we see them as co-equal together. So when you're called to to serve, to submit in your marriage, you're called simply to demonstrate Jesus' love, sacrificial submission as a man sacrificial leadership. And then also, at the end of that text, verse 33, let her respect her husband. Respect your husband. Affirm him. Uh, Let him know that you value him and that you believe in him. The person whose opinion most matters to a husband is his wife. The person whose opinion most matters to a husband is his wife. So those are the practices in the marriage for husbands and wives. But let's go on to chapter 6 and see the practices within the family. Children, 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments there when he says, This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, what are our roles? What are the dance steps that we need to learn? We're called to do two things. We're called to obey our parents and to honor our parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We obey because of the Lord. Okay? This is right. And he quotes the fourth commandment or the fifth, uh, I don't know, number five. I can't remember, four or five. Um, honor your parents, for this is the first commandment with a promise. Okay? You will live long in the land. Uh, so we're called to do things. Obey our parents and honor our parents. This is difficult, I think. And in our culture nowadays, often children are treated as co-equal to everybody in the family. In fact, in many families, the, children's, the children are king. That's not the way God intended the family to happen. Jesus is the Lord of the family. The parents are the leaders of the family. The children are called. They're nurtured by the Jesus and by the parents in the family. So as children, we're called to obey our parents and honor our parents. When we're young, we have to obey them. But I, in my opinion, once we get to the point of adulthood, once we get to the, when we have establish our own marriages, then we're called no longer to have to obey our parents, but we are called to honor our parents. We should always honor our parents. In fact, one of the mistakes that a lot of families make is they never really leave their family of origin. This text that was quoted at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and those two shall become one flesh. That is the most quoted verse in the New Testament, of the Old Testament. And the first thing it says is it just needs to be a leaving, a leaving. And one of the problems that happens in marriage is that sometimes mother-in-law or father-in-law still rule the new family. That is a recipe for disaster. If you husbands, your wife needs to know that the most important woman in the world to you is your wife. I believe that. That doesn't mean you dishonor your mother. You shouldn't not do that. But you need, well, you need to say no. You're, and you need, perhaps some of you might at some point even need to say to moms, mother, I love you, but you raised me to become an adult. I have a new family, and I know this is hard for you, but we're going to do it this way. My wife comes first. I know marriages that are in a lot of trouble because that never happened. Okay? That doesn't mean you dishonor your parents. Not at all. Same thing would be true. We can uh, let our parents... This is why um, uh, parents have a hard time letting go of their kids and often can control them through money thinking they're helping them. Be very careful. I think it's possible to help your children, your, your young adult children with money, but it, it's dangerous because it be, it's my house. It's our, you know, be very careful, okay? So we're called to honor our parents as once we develop a new family, but not to obey our parents, okay? Honor your parents is something we all, and that's difficult. I mean, my, uh, my father is 75 years old, um, and, you know, I, I still try to remember, how can I honor my father? How can I honor my parents? Okay? 
And I know that as my children have grown up, I'm sure that my father, who, of course, is quite a bit older now, would say the same thing that I feel like today. It means so much when I feel like my kids appreciate me, my grown-up adult kids. I can give that gift to my parents, too, letting them know that I honor them and appreciate them. So, yes, you need to set your own pattern in your family and not let your parents rule your family, but you can also take the responsibility to honor your adult parents. Give to them honor. Love them. Uh, do what you can to serve them, to help them. Keep the boundaries clear, but honor your parents. Okay? Parents, what are, the exam- what are the instructions for us as fathers? Do not provoke your children to anger, but, to, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two things that we would say. Number one, encourage your children. And number two, instruct your children. Encourage your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is difficult because as fathers especially, we wielded a tremendous amount of power in our homes. Mothers wield that same thing too. Uh, but I can speak simply as a father. And, of course, this text is uh, uh, about to the fathers themselves. Um, be very careful that you don't discourage. Another passage talks about not discouraging your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Encourage them. Help them know that you believe them in them. Help them know that you believe they'll make the right decision. That's something I, I, try, I try. It's hard, but I try to communicate to my young adult children whenever I talk to them, to affirm to them. You know, I, I believe you'll know what to do, what you need to do. You're going to be able to make this decision. I can't make it for you, but I believe you'll make a good decision. Encourage your children, but then also bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruct your children. Parents, we need to discipline our children. We need to love them enough to set good boundaries for them, to say this is where the boundary is, and if you go beyond that boundary, there will be a consequence. If you teach your children to follow boundaries early in their life, it will reap rewards later in your life. Trust me. Um, It's never too late to start, but start as early as you can. Give them good boundaries. Instruct your children. Discipline your children. Teach them about Jesus. Don't let other people do that. Teach them about Jesus and teach them who Jesus is and what he did for them. So, parents, encourage your children and instruct your children. So, he's the wisdom with regard to the family. We have the, parent, the husbands and wives, and there's a dance that happens there. But then there's also sort of a dance that happens within the family unit where God works in our lives. And we want it to be a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so rewarding when you can take your young children into a restaurant and not have them embarrass you, right? It's so rewarding. I mean, there are parents who just can't go out because they know their kids can't behave, you see? They can't make the beautiful dance of life together because their work, they're, they're not skilled in their relationships one with the other. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to be together with your adult children. You know, I've enjoyed being a parent ever since the first moment I saw Sorry, I get emotional too quick. This happens all the time. The moment I saw my daughter, I, I've enjoyed, and I remember early on, people would say to me as a young, what, 24-year-old father, they would say to me, no, be sure to enjoy this stage. This is the best stage. And I thought, you know, I don't think I want to live that way. I want to enjoy every stage. So I, and I would say the hardest stage was the first six weeks, but that's my story, you know. Um, I want to enjoy every stage, and now we're at that stage of having young adult children, 25, 21, 
28 years old. Um, and I know there's going to be lots of heartaches ahead of us, but there will also be joys. You make the investment into your family, and you can enjoy your family for the rest of your life. Oh, I'm enjoying that. Okay. Lastly, slaves and masters. Now, generally speaking, we just quickly move this into the work relationship. The work, but in truth, these, this was really another example of home life together. In fact, it was possible to leave your property to your slave. The slave could be virtually a part of your family. There's a lot of family relationships that happened within those slaves. And um, there's lots of different disputes about, you know, what kind of slavery existed in the first century. It was a different kind of slavery, but it still was slavery there in that first, uh, in that first century. It was just a part of life. To have just abolished slavery in that moment would have been like abolishing electricity. Imagine how life would change. You know, we'd be able to figure it out, but it would be a total change. Or, um, and, and slavery was just a, a part of, uh, of the world. Aristotle never said anything against slavery. Plato never said anything against It was just assumed to be part of the world. In fact, I believe it was Christianity that set the pattern for, slave, for slavery to be done away with because of its treatment that in Christ there's neither Jew nor gentle, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all one in Christ. So slave, Christianity leveled the playing field. And it's happening here in this this text. And when we look at these texts, the controversial part for us is what he says to the wives and to the slaves. But when they heard the text the first time, that would have been a matter of course for them. The controversial parts of the text were what was said to the husbands and to the parents and to the masters, that the masters had a responsibility before God that the husbands were called to lay down their wives, life for their, their wives. This was the controversial part. So Christianity leveled the playing field. But there are principles that relate to the slavery issue there in that day, but also do relate to the marketplace for us today. Okay? Slaves, two responsibilities. Obey sincerely. Love wholeheartedly. Verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. See, this is the principle of this, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. He's really saying to these, these slaves that you're very... Slavery becomes a way by which you can worship and honor Jesus Christ. You can honor him by serving your master. He elevates what they're doing to act of worship by serving Christ in the middle of that. So, slaves, obey sincerely, serve wholeheartedly. And I suppose as we think about it in our marketplace, it's also true that we should do the right thing and do it for Jesus. To do it for Jesus, then our work becomes an act of worship, okay? And then number two, masters. Masters, treat your slaves respectfully and do not threaten them. Masters, it says, uh, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. See, what what Paul has done in this text, he has, he has reoriented the whole playing field so that every aspect of life, the, the husband and the wife, the parent and the child, the masters and the servants, becomes an opportunity to worship Christ. 
And we have seen that Jesus came to make us fully alive human beings, to make us better husbands, better wives, better children, better parents, better slaves, better masters. And we see it all the way through this. So the Apostle Paul, ultimately after giving us this global vision about what God is doing in the world and calling people to himself and gathering them into a community of love and sending that with hope for the world, the place where he wants to see that happen most specifically is in the local family. And so let's look finally, having seen the principles and the practices of fully alive families, let's see finally then the pattern for fully alive families. And it's really quite clear in the middle. It's Jesus Christ. Go ahead, Brian. The pattern for fully alive families. All the way through this text, I've said it so much that you're tired of hearing it. Everything is couched in relationship to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who provides the example to husbands who are called to sacrificially love their wives. It is Jesus Christ who provides the example to women who are called to submit to their husbands. It is Jesus Christ who provides the example for children who are called to obey their parents. It is Jesus Christ who provides the example to parents who are called to nurture and discipline their children. It is Jesus Christ who provides the example to these slaves knowing that their master, Jesus Christ himself, became a servant. And it is Jesus Christ who provides the example to masters in the way that they treat their slaves. At the very center of our lives, in our families, at the very most personal parts of our lives, we never get far from this realization that it is Jesus Christ. He is our pattern. This is why we need to so fundamentally come back to Jesus all the time. We're going to close our time together by observing the Lord's Supper. And in whatever role you feel that you most uh, is most important for you, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child, as a worker, as an, employ- uh, as an employer, as an employee, think about how Jesus himself set the example. Think about how you can honor Christ as a wife, honor Christ as a husband, honor Christ as a parent, honor Christ as a child, honor Christ in the marketplace, and think of his sacrifice of love and it's submissive love for us. Let's have prayer as we close. Father in heaven, we're just grateful and thankful that when you uh, work in our lives, you work at the very nitty-gritty of our lives, and you work in a way that helps us to know how to be better husbands and wives, how to better be parents and children, and in the marketplace as well. We pray that you will help us to become living witnesses of your new creation in Christ. And we thank you for Jesus himself who set that example for us. Open our hearts to him. And may our families become places where the work of Christ is evident. May there be something new and precious about our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.